Once again, thank you for being here. It's good to be here, a beautiful but rather hot evening. Good to see you. Light crowd, we've got people traveling, we've got people gone, but appreciate your presence. As was said, we're going to be in Matthew 24. I get the long half. Ian covered verses 1 through 36 last week. I get the last 15 verses this week. Uh, he got the tough part. I get the easier part. I'm not sure there's any part of Matthew 24 that's easy. Uh, it's, it's a source of much controversy throughout the world. We do not believe as much of the Christian denominational world does. And much of that belief is based on Matthew 24. We, our, our views differ somewhat than, than the denominational world based in large part on this chapter. On this chapter in Luke 21 and Mark 13, these three chapters encapsulate a lot of the doctrine in the, in the denominational world. Ian covered a lot of that last week, and he did a wonderful job in doing that. Appreciated that. These cover premillennial doctrine, the rapture, the great tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the thousand-year reign of Christ. All of that comes from these chapters. We do not share that belief. We believe that we're in the last days now, and that's based in large part on Mark 24 and verse 15. Ian covered that last week. Verse 15 there in Mark 24, the Bible says, Christ said, when you see, talking to his disciples, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. This is the New King James Version I'm reading from. Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, he is, let him who is on the rooftop net not go down to take anything out of his house. He goes on to give them instructions on how to flee. Gives in the exact moment to flee. Now Luke's version is a little bit more specific. Luke 21 and verse 20. Same admonition, parallel passage. Luke 21 and verse 20. But when you see, again Christ speaking, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. And goes on to detail the warning signs of when and where to leave. And in AD 70 when the siege of Jerusalem took place. Historically, we know that 1.1 million Jews perished. Not a single Christian passed. They heeded the warnings of Christ. Recorded in Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24. So in large part, we base our doctrine, our beliefs on this. Over 100,000 Jews were also taken captive, hauled back to, to Rome, fed to the lions, treated terribly, and historians tell us that a total of, of around 1.3 million Jews died total. But the curious fact is that no Christians were recorded to have died. They heeded the warnings of Christ. 
that speaks volumes about how the Christians at the time believed the warnings of Christ. And Ian covered that in great detail last. But based on those historic secular history facts, Christ was indeed warning his disciples about Jerusalem's coming destruction. Ian covered this last week, but the first, uh, the first of this chapter, verses 15 through 22, warning signs. Christ gave them warning signs to flee Jerusalem. Then verses 23 through 26, he tells them to beware of false Christ that would be coming. Then he uncovered, starting there in verse 27, starts these prophetic figurative language that gets difficult, and that's where these difficulties arise. And if, if we could go back over a few of those and give some instances there. Verse 27 gives, gives, uh, starts this. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the lightning. So it's figurative, prophetic language. Verse 28, for wherever the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered. Eagle, of course, that is the shield on the Roman soldiers. They carried the figure of the eagle with them. But it's also been compared to the eagles eating carrion the total destruction that took place. It's also been compared to to vultures. But we know that eagles eat carrion. So it's been compared to that as well. But we know it's a reference to total destruction. We know that that is. For where the carcass is, there the eagles will be. But it's such figurative, prophetic language, it's difficult to wrap our heads around, isn't it? Verse 29 also, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, figurative language. This is present when when, uh, Babylon fell. The same figurative language is is present later on when the uh, the sun refused to give its light, when when the Savior was crucified. A lot of this figurative language is used over and over again when the changing of governments take place, when these huge events take place. Again, figurative language, prophetic language. Verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Difficult. Prophetic language. So what's he talking about? Continuing on, he starts to explain it a little bit more. Verse 32. Then he brings up the parable of the fig tree. Why would he bring up a parable of fig tree now? What's the significance of a fig tree? Now learn this parable, verse 32, from the fig tree. When its branch was already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Okay, you have all this prophetic language. All of this, and he uncovered this well. I just want to touch on it briefly. Why bring up the fig tree now? What could have significance with all of this prophetic language? 
when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, verse 33, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. When something is at the door, it's not in the distance. It's not going to happen off in the distance. It's at the door. Verse 34, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all these things take place. This generation. Earlier, Christ said, the blood of all the prophets will fall on this generation. Same term. Then he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but all my words will not pass away. Difficult. But he gives us a time frame. So what do we we know for sure based on secular history and everything we, we know that has occurred up until now? Christ also gave us this little bit that we knew was going to happen. As he drew near, drew near to Jerusalem, he saw the city, verse Uh, Luke 19, verse 41, he saw the city and wept over it. That's Jerusalem, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side, hand level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Christ prophesied that Jerusalem would be taken apart stone by stone, piece by piece, and leveled to the ground because they refused to recognize the visitation of the Savior. They refused to recognize the Messiah. He prophesied of that just a couple of chapters earlier. We know based on history, based upon the the prophecy, and based upon the warnings, based upon the fact that no Christians were were killed, were lost, and based upon the, the fact that the Jews did not heed the warnings of Christ, that Christ came in judgment to destroy Jerusalem, and he used Rome to accomplish that. A.D. 70, Rome leveled Jerusalem. And over a year, the siege lasted. The most horrific women were eating their children, their babies. When they were ordered, Titus ordered the Rome, the soldiers not to destroy the temple but they started burning it and the gold started running down between the cracks of these monstrous 20, 30 foot long marble brick, marble building stones, eight feet wide, six feet tall, 20 feet long, monstrous. And they used the machines of war to dismantle every single stone to chase the gold that was melting and running down in the cracks against the orders of Titus to the contrary. They were going, he wanted to leave it as a monument to Rome. Against man's efforts to prevent it, 
the vengeance of God took place. Christ's vengeance and his descriptive warnings of its coming was a shadow of the day of vengeance that will take place on all mankind and the earth and all mankind who choose not to heed his warnings. Certainly it's a shadow of that. That prophetic language is very easy to see. A shadow of final judgment as well. But it begs the question, why would Christ extend an offer of grace to Jerusalem saying, here's your chance to get out? And they got actually a second chance. They got two chances. They got all the warnings. And the historians tell us that at the siege of Jerusalem, that Titus actually withdrew the troops and went away. And they had a second chance to withdraw. And the last of the Christians and the last of the Jews actually had another opportunity to leave. Why was that? Christ had no interest in taking vengeance out on those who were not guilty. They were all given the warning signs and exact instructions to follow. And that warning even included a second last-minute opportunity to escape when Titus withdrew his troops for some unknown reason. Final judgment will not include a second chance. Our offer of grace is now. So what have we learned so far in these first 35 verses? The Christians listened to Christ, the Christians in Jerusalem. The Jews did not. Christ told them the, the exact time that event would take place. And they heeded his word. It's possible that some Jews did. The overwhelming majority did not. But it's interesting he gave them the exact moment the exact time. Verse 33 there in Matthew 24 said, when you see all these things, know that it is near, it's at the door. You can't put that off into the future. You can't try to say that's going to, first he told them this generation. And we know that's within 40 years. Jesus 30 AD, 30 to 33 AD, and then 70 AD is when that occurred, the siege of Jerusalem. So within this generation, then he said, when you see all these things, you know that it's at the door. It's here. Flee. That brings us to the start of verse 36. And he changes the tune a little bit. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. So he gave them the exact date that what was going to happen in Jerusalem. Down to watch, be careful. It's going to be within your lifetime. It's coming, and then look for it within your lifetime, and 
and look for it and look for it. Be watchful, be watchful. And when you go to the field, be ready. And when you come home, be ready. And if, if they come, don't go back in the house and, and hope that you're not pregnant and hope you're not nursing a child and all those familiar scriptures we know, don't go back in to get a shirt. Don't go back in to get a sandwich. Don't go back in to get more water. Flee to the mountains. Go. When you see the army coming, just go. Flee to the mountains. But of that day and hour, verse 36, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Pretty specific what he's talking about, isn't it? Contrasted with what was said earlier, all these things know that it is near. When you see all these things, it's at the door. All these things will take place within the lifespan of this generation. As in a lot of these prophecies, there can be a short-term fulfillment then the final fulfillment takes place, a judgment, a shadow. Colossians 2, a shadow of good things to come. Hebrews 10, the law was a shadow, but the body is Christ. Back to our text, Matthew 24, verse 37. But as in the days of Noah were, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood... They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be different. They knew. They were warned. They knew the exact day that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Now they don't, they don't know. Different event different event same terms being used coming of the son of man the sign of the son of man verse 30 verse 33 tells us it's going to happen when you see all these things it's at the door it's near this generation coming of the son of man similar similar prophetic language verse 30 the sign of the son of man Twice in verse 30, son of man. Verse 30, coming of the son of man. Verse 39, the coming of the son of man. One coming of the son of man is before he says all these things in this generation. The other one after he says that. So many times in these prophecies we have the short-term fulfillment. Then we have the final fulfillment of judgment. We have the literal fulfillment that takes place within a short period of time, the literal fulfillment that takes place on Israel. Then we have the final fulfillment that takes place with the church and with all of mankind on the day of judgment. The coming of the Son of Man. I've had some really good conversations with Ian this week. Wonderful conversations with Ian this week. We haven't always agreed. We don't have to. We don't have to. I don't claim to be as knowledgeable as he is. I don't claim to have the memory that he has. I don't claim. But the wonderful thing about it is we don't have to agree. 
we do have to be agreeable. And he's, he's good at that. We do have to be agreeable. But I think the big picture of this chapter is what, how does it apply to us? We can say the prophetic language this and the prophetic language is that and we can disagree over that and, and this means that and that means this and it applied to the church in A.D. 33 in this way. No, it applied to the church in A.D. 33 in this way. No, it doesn't. We can get crossways over this and we can get crossways over that. But it means that to me. No, it means this to me. Well, I don't agree with myself. 10 years ago, I've changed my opinion on something I was absolutely sure I was right on 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But what's the application? How does that apply to us today? What is it? Matthew 24, 40 and verse 41. When two men will, will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. What's the application of that? If a woman is taken in the field and a man is taken at the mill or vice versa, whether we go to God or, or he comes to us, our end is just as final. There is no second chance. What's the admonition? The same admonition it was at Jerusalem. The same admonition it was for the children of Jerusalem, the Christians, and the warning for the Jews. Watch. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the chief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. They knew 40 years early when the armies were coming. They knew they were coming. They knew what to expect. They knew what to look for. How do we know that? Because no Christians were lost. Acts 2 tells us 3,000 Christians were baptized. Acts 4 tells us 5,000 men, doesn't count the women, were in Jerusalem. There were thousands. By A.D. 70, there were thousands of Christians in Jerusalem. No Christians lost their lives. How miraculous is that? The Christians in Jerusalem were vigilant, watchful. They talked about it at night. They encouraged their friends and relatives. They warned their children. They kept one eye on the horizon. They never forgot the warnings that Christ gave them. They went to work ready. They came home ready. They went to bed ready. They woke up ready. And how do we know that? Because 40 years after the warnings of Christ, not a single Christian perished. How did they do that? They were ready. They never lost sight of those warnings. They never lost sight of that. They didn't focus on prophetic language that they may or may not have understood. They were ready. See, what they avoided is unimaginable. 
Verse 21, therefore, then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. They say that when they got there, when the armies actually breached the walls, that the robbers, the thieves, as Barabbas was a thief, and they released him instead of Christ, the bands of thieves which were actually murderers, they were giving them a decent name, but they were jockeying for control. They were murdering and robbing, and they said even the holy place in the temple was piled to the ceiling with dead, rotting bodies. And most of the, of the people who were killed in the siege were killed by their own people. The most horrific picture of humanity we could even imagine. Christians avoided that. They heeded those warnings. Truly miraculous. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Be ready, be watchful, be vigilant. That's the admonition. That was the crux of everything Christ said. He gave them warnings. He gave them exact dates. But the coming of the Son of Man, we have no such warning. Comes as a thief in the night. God only knows that day. Verse 48, but if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come as a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two. King James says, sawn asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Then there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As bad as that was for the guilty in Jerusalem and that siege in A.D. 70, how bad is it going to be for us if we neglect the warnings that Christ has given us and all the blessings that he's, and the grace that he's bestowed upon us. The admonition is to be ready. For the Son of Man is, is coming at an hour when we do not expect it. We're not going to get that offer of reprieve, that, sudden, that second chance to flee to the mountains and do things over again. This is our opportunity. This is our offer of grace. Be vigilant, watchful. Talk about it at night. Encourage friends and relatives. Warn our children. Keep an eye on the horizon. Never forget these warnings. Go to work ready. Come home ready. 
go to bed ready, wake up ready. That's the study of this evening, we hope. We've said something that will be an encouragement to you throughout the week.